0: This is Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. Your host, Carl Valeri, has over a decade of experience counseling pilots. Aviation Careers Podcast will help you navigate towards your aviation career goal. Here is your host, Carl Valeri. Welcome to Episode 48. We spend the majority of the time on the show discussing piloting jobs due to the highly specific training required and large investment of time and money. But there are many other jobs in aviation which are challenging, lucrative and interesting. You know, a large portion of the airlines revenue is generated by shipping cargo. And many of us don't realize this, but the hold, the baggage hold compartment under the airplane is not just for holding bags. It's it bags, it's for shipping cargo. You know, to help us understand more about how the airlines utilizes the cargo hold, And the careers in cargo, I have with me a cargo specialist with a major airline, Jesse Ziegler. Hey, uh, Jesse, welcome to the show. Hey, how's it going? Glad to be here. Good, good, good. You know, uh, in full disclosure, Jesse and I actually have uh, know each other, and we ha- share the same date of our marriage, which is pretty interesting. Uh, I got married on October nineteenth, and so did you. So that's terrific.
1: It's a wonderful thing, isn't it?
0: <laughs> yeah, it is. And and uh, Jesse, you know, tell me a little bit about your aviation background, and and surprise me a little bit because, uh, and refresh me on and how uh, how we got to know each other. Maybe the, the audience might be interested in that
1: absolutely it's it's kind of a funny story the way that um I tell people how I got involved um I was actually just sitting in in, in an English class in high school, and one of my uh somebody that I went to school with uh mentioned that he took flight lessons out at the local airport um and 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 I thought well you know if if he can do it then then I definitely think I can get out there and do it so uh yeah, I told my parents I was going to go out there and start sweeping hangars and uh, hanging out a little bit, and that transitioned into um, a Discovery flight, which was with you, and uh, eventually that turned into getting my my private, before I went to college, my private pilot's license there at Peter O'Knight in Tampa.
0: Yeah, that was a lot of fun. I, I, I do remember that. And uh, you, as a matter of fact, you soloed uh, on uh, a specific date. You were pretty young when you soloed, right?
1: Yes, yes. I, I, I soloed the day after my birthday, the first day that I was eligible to solo. And uh, yeah, that was a very, very memorable day. That was back when um, a C-150 and a Tomahawk, I believe, were both uh, about $45 or $50 an hour uh, wet. And, and those are numbers that I'm sure you really don't see much of anymore today.
0: <laughs> yeah, I remember those days. Gosh, that's going back a while. And, uh and since then, things have really progressed. And, uh, just before we, we go into some of that background there, uh, we, you know, I, you went, you went from being into flying and going to cargo. That's, that's a pretty big leap there. And you've done a few things in between. So, uh, just quickly, what, what kind of ratings do you have? First of all, and then, uh, you know, did you go to college and, and those type of things real quick?
1: Absolutely, so my freshman year of college um, I went to the University of North Dakota up in Grand Forks North Dakota um, it was it was touted as as one of the best flight schools in the country outside of the military and um, being born and raised in Florida, I figured you know I wanted to get out for a little bit and, and see a little bit of the country and and go to somewhere far off for college and over in a college that's really well known for its flight program so I went up there um, and did uh, when you get up there I already had my private before I went up there and I had to quickly get into a standardization course and that's all they allowed me to take my freshman year. So, um, very quickly in the spring of that year, I realized that 40 degrees below zero and 50 degrees below zero in the winter was not what I liked. So, um, I quickly made the decision that I wanted to be back in sunny Florida. So I applied to the Florida Institute of Technology, um one of the original 3 schools that I uh was considering for college. I got into there and um transitioned down and quickly got my instrument rating followed by my commercial and then my multi engine um, and then quickly after that uh, the last thing I wanted to do was take an air taxi class that helps you build hours in the multi engine aircraft uh, the 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 and 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 I so I I went ahead and did that and graduated um the official degree that I have is a bachelor in science with a, uh, in aviation management with flight and um I graduated in December of 2008.
0: It sounds like you're on track to become an airline pilot or, or a pilot in general, um, commercial pilot. What made you decide not to go towards becoming a pilot?
1: Yeah, so the um, w- when I first went out to Peter O'Knight with my parents to, to kind of look into this whole being a pilot as a career um, path, that you, you sit down and you take a look at what the current salaries are in the airlines and, uh, what, what, first officers are making and what captains are making. And, and at that time it was, um, you know, it was very enticing not to mention, uh, you know, the romantic notion of being a a commercial pilot is is all very intoxicating. And so, you know, I, I thought that it was, you know, a a great way to make a living, um, doing something that I was so passionate about and the pay on top of that was something that was beneficial to me pursuing that path. Um, um, but very quickly uh, I realized in college after a few of my uh, contemporaries were graduating that they were going to regional airlines and being first officers for for very very um, what I thought was very low wages, especially considering uh, the tuition and flight costs that are incremental to a degree when you pursue pilots licenses on the commercial level. Um, you know I, I made a decision that uh, I thought that, to really live the life that I wanted to do, I wanted to be able to go into the corporate side, and, and many times I, I didn't want to start to hate what I loved so much. I was afraid that being paid at that low wage, that they may um, I, I may really start to, to to dislike flying, and I really wanted to ensure that I I maintain that passion and. Uh, I, a, a, as some people would say you know i've i've kind of tried to become a weekend warrior and and that's where i can really hang on to that romantic notion of of flying and um you know uh, making sure that it doesn't become old or it be- doesn't become something that stresses me out or or, or becomes work I, I wanted to make sure that it, it stayed something that i loved so like i said i went into the corporate side of things um which in many ways has been uh, just as fulfilling, if not more, than than actually flying, um, flying the line or holding a line position as a pilot.
0: You know that's a fascinating story, and I, I, you know, one of the things on this show I like to try to promote people to go after the career that they really enjoy and love. And you never know what's going to happen. You know, the, the the path towards your aviation career goal is, is varied, and you never know where you're going to wind up. And you're you're actually a perfect example of that, Jesse, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on today. Uh, I almost I almost felt a little sad when I found out you didn't want to be an airline pilot because, you know, being one of your first instructors, I felt like, oh my gosh, what did I do wrong? You know, But uh, but I'm glad that you've, you have found something that you really, really enjoyed. I'm glad that you're still flying. I think that's
1: terrific. No, no, you know, you, you didn't do wrong, and, and none of my instructors along the way did anything wrong. I think it's just like they teach you in, in becoming a pilot and not having get their itis You know, you can't focus on the end goal especially when things change and you need to be able to adapt to that so you know I'm I'm making sure that I'm keeping aviation flying a huge part of my life but you know things develop and and situations change and and you kind of have to you know cope with that in, in the best and safest manner possible and for me that was you know Going to the corporate side of things, which again you know you don't get to see the sunsets and the sunrises that all my friends post photos of on their Facebook and Twitter as they're coming into LaGuardia or Boston, but you know what there still are some really really great things that that I hold uh, much higher in regard the uh, being on the corporate side than I do on the on the flight side.
0: And that, that's what we want to talk about today. I want to get back to that later as far as what you're going to do with your, I mean, you have this skill, but let's, let's talk about what, what we're here to talk about today. And that's, that's about cargo and, and the airlines. Now it's interesting because as, as a pilot, I watched them load cargo on the airplane and, and I did not realize this until I studied it further that the cargo is actually something that is very important to the airlines. Why is it so
1: important? Absolutely. So when you look at the bags that passengers bring, um, rarely are there so many bags on a flight that the aircraft departs with all of its cargo hold space below decks um, full of bags and strictly bags more than not there is ample room in the bottom of the aircraft that is just flying empty because people don't, you know, check enough bags for us to fill it or, or anything like that. So we see this opportunity in the airline industry to say, okay, the aircraft is already flying there because it needs to take passengers to get there. And we've got all this open capacity, cargo capacity in the bottom of these aircraft. Why don't we start transporting goods for you know for for revenue and you know and, and a, a new business units that that will contribute to the revenue of the company so through various certifications the company decides okay we're going to carry cargo and and we have this just amazing amount of capacity down there and and we're going to offer that to sell to different customers to move cargo all over the world and that's exactly what we do so this space
0: underneath you talk about cargo okay i know there's the bags um, I know that I've shipped in the past, uh, you know, different medical supplies and paper. What goes underneath an airline in the cargo hold?
1: We ship almost anything that you can imagine. Um, we, we, like you said, we do ship pharmaceuticals. We ship, uh, human remains actually is, is a decent segment of business. Um, perishable items like fruits and vegetables and meats, um, fish out of Alaska, fish out of the Pacific Northwest and Asia. That's a very large, um, large market. We even ship things like lighting fixtures, um, cars, some, some, Airlines and some of the aircraft have the capability to put cars underneath the um, passengers, and they they will ship those. Um, really, anything that isn't in, um, inherently dangerous, like chemicals or flammable materials, you can move it uh, um, pretty much on any airline that 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 flies passengers as well.
0: Wow, that's fascinating. I did, I had no idea that uh, all that was going underneath. Uh, you know, when they say to us, "Hey, you have this much of cargo." Uh, they only tell us what's, uh, hazardous materials and, uh, and that's it. I mean, we don't really get to know what's underneath there, but who knows? Maybe we're shipping a, a small car or something like that somewhere.
1: It very well could be.
0: <laughs> that's interesting how, how they ship all this. Now that, that is a, a great source of, of revenue. I, I'm assuming you, you know, one thing though, when you said fish, you know, I, I, as you know, years ago, I was in the fish business. Uh, one of the concerns I have would be, does the fish smell up the airplane?
1: That's a good question. Um, and, and a lot of the fish is shipped in sealed containers. Um, and, and the, the, let's make a quick differentiation here. Um, when it comes to the, uh, cargo side of things in the airline world, there, there's two ways of moving. Um, uh, especially perishable items like fish. There's narrow body, which is like your 757s, your A320s, your regional jets, the single aisle aircraft, and then there's your wide body aircraft, like the 7.6s, seven, the 777s, A330s, um, A380s, all of that. Now, on a wide-body aircraft, a dual-aisle aircraft, you can accept uh, – the, the aircraft can carry cargo in something called a universal load device, a ULD. And in that ULD, you can pack it with gel packs of ice. You can pack it with uh, dry ice. You can pack it with a number of things to preserve the fish that then goes over this sealed container, be it styrofoam or plastic or anything else, to where this um, – fish and and because it is obviously from the ocean there's a lot of moisture and water that goes along with the fish you know it, it Airlines take great lengths in ensuring that that doesn't seep out because not only would it potentially stink, but think about how, how much corrosion would occur to the aircraft if salt water was leaking out of these containers into the belly hole. And, and, and over the course of years and years and years, that would that would absolutely be detrimental to the safety of that aircraft. So making sure that containers that have fluids in them are sealed is, is a very important um important thing to the airlines, transporting their cargo.
0: It seems that with all this work that you do and all these different devices and materials, it seems kind of expensive. This cargo must be fairly lucrative to be shipping.
1: It is. In particular, it's lucrative in the markets where it cannot be reached by truck. So uh, think of freight that's originating in uh, Europe or Asia or South America um, or even Australia. You know, you can't get cargo from Sydney, Australia to Charlotte, North Carolina with a truck. You have to put that on air or you have to put that on ocean. So... Uh, I'm sorry, uh, uh, an industry term is putting it on ocean is shipping it via ocean. Um, obviously, that takes much more time and perishables aren't always ideal to take that much time because they won't be fresh by the time they arrive in their port. And it's the same thing with trucks. Not only can you not get to Charlotte on a truck, but you can't get there – you can't put it on ocean and then truck it from LA to Charlotte. And get it there in time for it to still be fresh and have customers that still want to buy this fish. So a lot of times the pharmaceuticals is a great example of that. There, there's very strict times that, you know, very short amount of times that the between when the drug is made until it is administered before it loses its effectiveness and, you know, a, a two day truck ride from LA to New York you know, it's, it's, it's going to render the drug useless. So, so you, you have to look at putting it on a three hour, four hour, five hour flight trans transcontinental to get it there in time.
0: That's fascinating. Now, this other cargo that I've heard of, uh, for instance, packages, I I've heard of the, I honestly, I've never used it, but I know that you can send packages. You know how you go to FedEx and just quick ship something or, uh, you take a package yep. somewhere. How can you do that at an airline?
1: Absolutely. Um, most airlines in the United States, you can just walk up to the counter, um, and pay their, it's essentially what's called a courier service. So it's packages under a certain size and, and it's almost just treated like checked bags. Um, now some airlines depending on uh how they operate will require to make sure that you're a known shipper or that you have an account with them uh, um just to make sure that they're not accepting some off the street package that they have no idea what's inside um so yeah you can you can still to this day walk up to airlines they have different policies on how they accept that that freight but absolutely you can you can certainly do that
0: so how do you uh, if I it always, I always wondered, I know I can get the package to the airport. How do I arrange for it on the other end? I guess you would, I'd have to arrange that if I say I'm shipping a package on your airline to from Tampa to New York. Uh, how would I go about doing that?
1: Right. So the, the the key distinction here between a passenger airline and a cargo airline is typically cargo airlines are what's called door-to-door service. So they either pick it up from your home or from a distribution center like a FedEx retail location, and they deliver that all the way to the final destination. An airline is typically a point-to-point system to where it's saying, if you can get us the cargo in Charlotte, we'll get it to Portland, Oregon, But that's as far as we can get it. They don't have the network to be able to give it from Portland, uh, the airport in Portland, to uh, whoever's address in Portland, Oregon. So that would be up to the customer to make sure that somebody is uh, on the other end that you have authorized to pick up that package.
0: So you then maybe get a freight forwarder or something like that to help you out?
1: Yes. Yes. So you could go to a freight forwarder, which uh, is, is exactly as the name suggests. You go to, I mean, FedEx is a freight forwarder essentially. I give them a package and they forward it on all the way to my final destination. Now, FedEx may not move that on a FedEx aircraft. They may move that on a passenger airline because it makes more sense economically speaking for them to do that. But a freight forwarder is somebody that you go to that covers That last little bit of transportation from the airport to its final destination or on the beginning side from, from its point of origination, which is typically a warehouse to the, uh, originating airport. So
0: this is fascinating. You you talked about the difference between an all cargo airline and a passenger airline. Basically, if I go to an all cargo airline, you're going to come to my house, pick up my package and get it to Portland, Maine. Uh, if I'm working with an airline, I have to arrange for the pickup at the airport on both ends and getting it to the airport. What other things? Are are there what other differences are there between the cargo airline and the passenger airline from uh, the standpoint of the type of cargo they they carry, et cetera.
1: That's a good question. Um, the cargo airlines, because their aircraft are strictly for cargo and they don't have to uh, take into consideration the needs of a passenger, uh, of human passengers on board, um, you know, they can take a lot more oversized cargo, cargo that wouldn't fit in the belly of a passenger airline, um, they can take a lot more, like, like I said earlier, vehicles, a lot more oddly shaped vehicles. Um, they can, in, in fact, I've heard of them transporting, uh, large sea animals to different aquariums throughout the world. They can take custom sized containers, um, that are filled with water or, or even, um, I've heard of horses being shipped on cargo airlines. You know, they, they are much more of the utility, um, You know the the pickup pickup trucks of the sky. They're the ones that you can whatever you can throw in there. Uh, is what they'll is what they'll take, and um, that's that's certainly one of the advantages that cargo airlines has. Um, one. Now, the passenger airline, you have to remember that the chief revenue flow is going to be from the passenger side of the airline. And because that aircraft is already going to the destination, why not try to fill it up with cargo? So you tend to have a lot more daily operations, um, o- o- what we call origin and destination combinations. Um, so to say that you may have, uh, you know, 10 flights a day from Chicago to Dallas on a passenger airline, but you may only have one overnight flight from a cargo airline. Um, This bodes well for the passenger airline, especially for those um, uh, courier type packages where, a customer may give the airline a package at eight in the morning for the nine o'clock flight because it needs to be in Dallas by one o'clock local time. Whereas if they wait for that cargo airline, you know, they're going to tender it to that cargo airline at seven or eight o'clock at night for the 1 a.m. or 2 a.m. departure. And it's not going to be delivered in Dallas until next day. That That's what we call next day service, not same day service. So you kind of, the, the aircraft, The operations differ in the fact that cargo aircraft kind of sit around all day, for the most part, not all of them, but for the most part, they sit around all day at the distribution center where trucks are out in that city all day gathering packages. Then they go to sort and they load everything that they can onto that aircraft that's departing at one o'clock in the night – in the morning, I'm sorry. So – because they don't have passengers they can operate at these odd hours and they can sit around all day during the day when there's bad weather and 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 you know issues like that and then they go in the middle of the night and complete these legs of delivery now a passenger aircraft is all, it, for for larger destinations is always tra- traversing back and forth between these different origin and destinations and and you can you know, you open up a lot more destinations with a passenger airline. I, I'm thinking of, uh, you know, like UPS out of uh, Louisville, you know, they may only fly to 50 or 100 destinations a day out of their hub. And if you think of, uh, you know, Any, any airline out of JFK or Chicago or Charlotte or Atlanta or LA, you know, they may hit 400, you know, they may hit hundreds more destinations per day out of that airport. And, and, and to, to a, to somebody who's trying to move cargo, you know, that's much more beneficial than having to wait for it overnight to move to another hub and then wait for that connection and, and, and move, move that way as well.
0: That's pretty interesting. So if I want to get something over to Fort Smith or say I want to go to somewhere like Appleton, Wisconsin, uh it might be better to go with a a passenger airline possibly to get a point to point on the same day. Interesting. Really that that's pretty fascinating stuff. Now now you you work on the passenger side and the cargo. There's it sounds like there's there's a lot involved here. There's a lot of operations, there's a lot of people that are involved in this. And since we're talking aviation careers, Maybe you can give us some insight as to the different jobs, what career opportunities there are in the cargo world, uh, including the one that you're doing right now.
1: Sure. So... What I do uh, uh, in my current position is, is I'm revenue management in cargo. So essentially, if you can think of revenue management on the passenger side, those people that raise your fares up and down on a daily basis to try to maximize the mix of fares on an aircraft to make sure it's profitable. We essentially do the same thing just with cargo and not passengers. Um, so we, we largely look at a lot of statistical data and historical analysis and how we we want to price cargo that is going to move on the airline. Now, cargo is its own division at most airlines. And like any division, it has its all of its supporting roles that, that work towards the success of that division. We have HR, we have marketing, we have operations, we have a team that looks at flights that are very full and make sure that it prioritizes freight correctly to make sure that we get the highest priority freight on first and to make sure that it, that it flies as booked. Um, the, you know, it, it really has any role that you would expect, uh, any, any roles that you would expect any large division of a, of an airline that would have, would have, um, we really can you know i think you know of course there's nuances uh like marketing is slightly different um because it's dealing with cargo instead of the actual airline same thing with uh with, with hr and accounting we have a whole finance division you know they they all support um the entire division as well and then of course there's revenue management who who uh, i'm one of many I have a very specific sector that I'm assigned to, and I make sure that within that sector, I'm maximizing the revenue that we get. So we have a large sales force as well that goes out into the field, and they're the ones that are interfacing on a daily basis with the customer, making sure that shipments are moving correctly, making sure that they have um, the correct prices um, at their disposal to make sure that you know that they're getting rated correctly when they give us freight. They're, they're, they're the boots on the ground, if you will, and, and and, and and the relationship between sales and revenue management is something that is very important to make sure that we can you know fill our aircraft as much as makes sense uh, for, for our division to be successful
0: so this is not a small organization you know I, I look at cargo I think geez, this isn't very large but uh, it's it's sounding bigger and bigger every minute you talk do you know what percentage or and also how many people might be working within your the the cargo area of the airline you're at?
1: So in, in my area, um, I want to say that there's about 200 people and I'm not counting the, um, so there's operations people on the ground at every airport that we fly to. Um, and and then there's also Salesforce. So, um, I, I honestly don't know the exact number of people that are dedicated to the sale or to the uh, cargo side of things, but I want to say that it's uh, approaching a thousand. Um, we are a relatively large group, and and. And all over the world, we just had a um a global conference uh a few weeks ago, and I met uh, a representative in pakistan who who sells cargo um you know moving to and from pakistan and uh not to mention the the large asian contingent and in australia and africa and europe you know it's it is truly uh, i interface daily with i have a team in Mumbai that I have to talk to um I, I truly do talk to people that are just down the street and people that are, you know, half a world away um, on a daily basis.
0: That sounds really fascinating. Boy, It, it, it how, how in the world do you become qualified for such a job to be like a cargo specialist like yourself?
1: I actually um, started my... Air, my professional life in the airlines, in revenue management, and I think that that played very well into setting me up to to, to earn the position that I have now. Um, when I was in college, I actually had a internship with the airline I currently work with. Um, And uh, in in the schedule planning group. And um, I went back and finished my final semester of college. And actually, I moved to Germany after that. Um, When I was in Germany, I worked for DHL. And I did largely the same thing um, that I did uh, as an intern. And that's a lot of schedule planning. Shortly after that internship ended, uh, I moved back to Florida and started in passenger revenue management um, in Orlando, where their hub was at the time. Um, Shortly after that, Southwest purchased AirTran um and i decided that uh i would start looking for other opportunities and um i moved down to fort lauderdale florida where i became uh a revenue management on the passenger side of royal caribbean cruises and celebrity cruises which is um in many ways very similar to passenger uh, rm at a airline and uh i spent a bit of time there and then the uh the company that i interned with uh offered me a position uh, after i'd worked with royal caribbean for about a year and a half and we decided to, to 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 pursue it and i was lucky that i was able to convince my now wife to move up here with me and uh well, you know it's it's been it's been quite a journey but it's been a very rewarding one as well
0: that's really uh, gosh i didn't realize you did all that that's pretty fascinating that you, so now you can take this skill that you learned at the airlines and use it in in a similar industry travel but uh in the, in the cruise lines etc so there's other uh, can you think of anything else besides that i guess it would be uh, trucking that type of thing
1: yes absolutely there's revenue analysts in in trucking um one of one of the largest groups of uh revenue management analyst that I've been able to glean is, um, hotels, you know, there, there's just so many hotels out there. And I, I don't know if I've ever come across or stayed at a hotel that doesn't have a, a dedicated analyst, um, or at least an analyst at the corporate level, you know, they, they are probably the largest employer of the quote unquote revenue management principles, um, out of any, any other segment of, of, of any industry that employs revenue management techniques.
0: You know, Jesse, this has been fascinating as far as the turn this has taken for me in that I didn't realize you were so much into revenue management. And so what would you suggest to somebody? Say I'm starting out, and and if you're listening and you want to understand how you can get into this, say you're just getting started, how would you position yourself to get into, say, a revenue management, airline cargo specialist type of role like when you're starting out in in college say what would you suggest doing
1: my suggestion would be you know you need to start early you need to uh, i would say one of the things that probably helped me the most and still still helps me out uh and pays dividends is getting that internship with with the airline um that is a great thing to have on your resume i, I can't tell you how much the worth uh, of that is in fact it, it was so valuable to me i decided to go back to my college florida tech and recruit uh, an intern for our division um and and you know i in in one way to give back to uh you know the, the college that that i went to but start early you know um People people often like to pick out certain classes that really helped out. And um, one of those classes that I had was um, aviation management. It was the capstone course of my degree. And in and, and that, you actually sit down and talk about the basic principles of fleet utilization and revenue management. And, um, and, and that was very eye-opening to me as well. Um, you know, really pay attention to that. Really work on your math and, and understand, um, you know, how to forecast uh, revenue how to trend data h- how to present it in um in a way that it's very easy to understand you know it's I-, I would probably put more emphasis in learning how to communicate data and statistics and forecasting to other people your contemporaries um than actually the aviation aspect of it because you know the aviation side Can largely be learned, not, not the pilot side. That's a different story, but, but the corporate operation of an airline can, can be learned. It's really the, well, can, can that person then take the data that he is given, he or she is given and, you know, turn that into something that is useful and a benefit to the airline that, that, that the airline can see a benefit from and, and pursue, you know, the recommendations based off of that data.
0: Could somebody who's thinking about changing career, say they're in their 30s, 40s, could they get into this? Uh um say they have a background in math or something or say they don't have any background, could they maybe go to school and and move along? I know that they're going to it's going to take a few years to make it there, but do you, would you suggest that to somebody's maybe making a midlife career change?
1: Absolutely. You know, it's 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 something that uh, you know, it's 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 interesting that it differs in this way from from the pilot side. Uh, you know, I've been I've been on on the training side of of the commercial aviation, and and there is uh, you know there is a very small percentage of people that reach a point in their flight training where they say, okay, you are really putting in the time, you're putting in the effort, you know your um you know your regulations and and everything, but there, there, there's a plateau they've reached where they can no longer improve their stick skills and actually flying the aircraft and how they do and, 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 um, no matter how hard they work at it. But it's very different in the, uh, the revenue management side of things to where as long as you're dedicated to it and you're willing to put in the effort and, and you stay motivated, um, you, you really can't reach that point to where, You don't, you you can't overcome any obstacles that come at you. You know, it's, it's absolutely something that somebody can learn and become very good at as long as they're willing to invest the time and effort into it.
0: And this is something that someone can make a living at right away. So, Jesse, if you don't mind, let's talk a little bit about salaries. Um, yep. Obviously, right, I'm going to ask you what you make, but I'm going, to, I'm going to give you some statistics off of the BLS, the Bureau of Labor Statistics. By the way, I have a link to this at aviationcareerspodcast.com, so you don't have to write all this down. But uh, on their website, they talk about aircraft cargo handling supervisors, which is kind of with a, the type of positions, we're looking at more supervisor type of position. And uh, they're, they're talking about different hourly employees and also annual wages. Let's just look at the annual rate wage. And we're saying the median, the median that's in the middle, is 47930 Uh In the top 90%, they're saying it's about 76650 And that's for a type of manager. I know there's many different jobs. Uh, say you're, uh, somebody who wants to handle the cargo, someone who wants to be a supervisor, all the way up to, uh, the person who's the supervisor, the supervisor. So is there any salary ranges you can give us possibly to give us an idea what someone could make, say, at, at, at the place that you work?
1: I would say that that range is very accurate. Um, now there's a small caveat to that, and that is, um, revenue management. And at least what I'm familiar with is, is something that is very demanding and there's a lot of uh, pressure because you are the chief. I mean, you essentially dictate the amount of revenue coming in the doors. Um, and there's a lot of pressure because there's a lot of justification that you have to make on that. So because, due to the uh, the pressure and the amount of data you have to sift through, there, there does tend to be a higher turnover rate. And in any position, no matter what uh, discipline it's in, when there's high turnover rate, it tends to be an entry level position. Um, and, and that is, uh, the same throughout any, any discipline of revenue management, whether it be cruise lines, um, airlines, hotels, rental car companies, trucking companies, even restaurants, you know, um, any sort of entry position like that, I would say that you're looking at, uh starting it maybe in the mid 20s this is now this is for an uh an uh entry level revenue management position it it goes up very quickly but i would say starting level starting entry level would be between mid 20s to um low 40s would be the the yearly range and then um and then it can go up from there
0: okay and then on the high side uh what would you think it would be say someone who wants to move up the ladder
1: Moving up the ladder, putting in maybe five or ten years worth of uh, seniority, I would say that you would probably be within the seventy to a uh, hundred thousand dollar range, especially at the manager level. A manager typically, man, you know, in in all revenue management positions that I've had, a manager is over four or five people who all manage uh you know like the United States let's say a man there's one manager that manages all the United States origin traffic so he or she is in charge of the four analysts that do the day-to-day managing of those individual sectors and and their salary range would be Probably between yeah, I would say about seventy to to a hundred. Um, but again, you know, I'm I'm I've only been out of college since two thousand and eight. I, I wouldn't say that would uh, I, I wouldn't put too much faith in my numbers. That's as much as I can surmise from from this amount of time. But but I, I'm still new to it, you know. So I, I I don't have everything figured out just yet. Well, it seems to me
0: that it you start off fairly low, but you can move up quickly. Uh, and yep. then move on from there which is good and that that's it's it's somewhat like being a pilot but you you move up a little bit quicker salary wise because those numbers you wouldn't see for a while as a, especially as a regional pilot
1: and that's very enticing to a lot of people going through flight training and and then that's you, you hit the nail on the head Is because uh, there does seem to be a little bit more mobility and salary uh, upward mobility and salary when it when it comes to the uh to the to the corporate side of things as opposed to the uh the flight line side right right so
0: now we talk salaries there's other benefits that that you have in an airline there's some really cool benefits you know medical that type of thing but one of the neat things about working in the travel industry is you get to go places for free what do you get the same type of travel benefits as say a pilot or a flight attendant
1: Yes, we do. Um, now, we don't get the jump seat privileges that the uh, flight crew get, but uh, we do absolutely get the flight benefits. In fact, um, I told my wife that if we were going to leave, uh, the area that we grew up that, uh, you know, it, it would be very beneficial if we had the flight benefits to be able to get home. You know, I'd, I'd only drag her away if we had that ability, but we do. And we non. it's, it's called non-revenue, non-revving, which stands for a non-revenue passenger. And, and we take advantage of that quite often.
0: Well, that's real cool. So you can go anywhere in the world.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We've, we've been all over. Um, we did a a weekend in Chicago. Uh, we visited family in North Carolina. We've been uh, back to Florida a bunch. Um, we've kind of been all over. We, we, in fact, right after I got hired, um, We went to Spain for a night. We went to Madrid. We, we, you hop on a flight, you know, every, every Friday night or essentially every evening and, and all major hubs throughout the U.S., the European flights depart. And we hopped on a a flight to Madrid, which left at uh, six or seven o'clock on a Friday night. You land in Madrid at about 10 or 11 in the morning. You go straight into the city and see the city for the day on Saturday. Uh, we got a hotel room Saturday night and we're back at the Madrid airport at nine or 10 in the morning on Sunday. And, and flew home, and we only spent one night in Madrid, and we're back in work on Monday. And that—that's a very, very common occurrence. There's a lot of—I mean, every every Friday evening, everyone's walking around the office asking, "Where are you going this week?" and "Where are you going this week?" and "Who's going to uh, you know Paris?" "Who's going to London?" and uh, "Who's going to Tokyo?" It's 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 quite surreal. Um, that that uh, that that benefit that we get.
0: Well, you sold me, Jesse. Sounds like you. you, <laughs> you know, that sounds like a lot of fun. Plus, sounds like you really like your job
1: absolutely it's 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 you know it, in the aviation industry you find something you're good at and that that fulfills you and and you just you know take it to the the, the farthest point that you can and 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 I'm loving it so
0: do you think that your flying background helped at all in your career
1: i think so you know the revenue management industry is also very competitive so any time that i've applied and interviewed for a revenue management job there's been multiple other candidates up against me. And I think what really helped me out at AirTran and would help me out where I am now is that they saw, you know, on on the top of my resume, I have that I am a multi-engine, multi-engine instrument commercial pilot. And, um, I've, I've got, I listed my hours and, and everything like that and, you know, just to kind of say, hey, you know, the, the, I, I stand out because there's not a lot of R, people out there applying for RM jobs who who know about that aspect of the industry and know about, you know, flight ops and, 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 and different things like that.
0: So do you think going to one of these larger schools is a good idea and helped you with your career? I know you talked about the internships. That's one benefit. What other benefits do you think there would be?
1: I think that when it comes to school choice, it's, it's much more reputation is always, is always something that's very important. But I think what you really need to do, um, uh, on an individual basis is evaluate the, you know, evaluate the cost of the school, evaluate, um, what, what kind of student loans you may have leaving school and, and kind of look at these, you know, different, uh, salaries of different aspects of the airline and, and work out what makes sense what's logical you know i i tend to think very analytically because of my job and you know look at what you're look at what you may come out with in debt from student loans and excuse me, and look at what you may be making. And, you know, there's a lot of big name schools. Um, there was one just up the up the road from us called Embry-Riddle, which um, I, I've never met anyone that I haven't liked from Embry-Riddle. They're all incredible people. But when I applied there, um, they wanted, I think, around $40,000 a year. Uh, th- I mean, it was just a, it was a substantial amount of money that they wanted. And um, I'm sure that it's absolutely worth it. I'm not debating the merits of that. But, you know, that that kind of money per year... That includes flight costs um, if you multiply that out over four years, you have a huge monthly payment on that uh, student loan and and while that will certainly you know, be a better looking resume to say that you went to Embry Riddle. There there's many, many other fine flight schools out there that also have big reputations. Auburn, Purdue, North Dakota, um, you know, and, and, and even smaller schools, uh like uh Middle Tennessee State University, you know, that don't have that Exorbitant price tag, but you can still walk away with a very quality education, very very good flight training and and be you know very close to people that went to the more uh, prestigious schools
0: that's a very good point jesse and i I think that the most important thing is getting your education and yeah, if you have the money go to go to a bigger name school that help you with some networking possibly um, but yeah i think I think the education is the most and most important thing, and there's some really like you said really good uh, schools out there. Uh, as a matter of fact, we should probably start putting a list together, put it on our aviation careers pod, uh, podcast type uh, website here.
1: I'm always surprised to hear about the other schools that have aviation programs, and 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 it, it makes me so happy because when I when I applied to college, it was North Dakota, Amber Riddle. Or Florida Tech. Those were, you know, or the military. Those were the big three guys that everyone was like, you got to do those, but there's, there's nothing else. And, and by the time I graduated, you know, I had then found out that Auburn has an amazing flight program and Purdue has an amazing flight and all these other ones, you know, do your research, really look into it and, and, and. You can only benefit from that.
0: You know, Jesse, it's great that you brought up that point because even within Florida, there's innovation. Uh, Polk State College is the first state school with a four-year aviation degree, and that's pretty incredible.
1: I love to hear that. That is great.
0: Yeah, it's just awesome. Eric Crump, he's he's terrific. He's a, you know, the aerospace director there, and uh, he's he's running that program, and it's going to be up and running, I think, in another year or so. So I, I'm just so happy to see that that the costs are coming down. Oh, and when I say that, I know it's expensive. I understand, uh, but in comparison, you have more choices now than you ever did, and I think that's terrific.
1: Absolutely, competition will always, uh, you know, increase innovation and lower prices to the consumer. So I'm a big fan of of more competition coming online. Yeah, that's true. The, now, you know, Jesse,
0: let's get back a little bit to flying. You, do you still like flying? I love flying, absolutely. <laughs> so, Darren, do you have your instructor certificate or anything like that now?
1: No, I didn't. I didn't go to get my instructor ticket. Um, but uh, you know, I still I still fly pretty, pretty regularly. Albeit, I'm not I'm not behind the controls as much as I would like to be. Um, it, outside of uh, training in college, it, it can your, your flight training bill can run up through the roof. So um, I, I don't get to pilot myself uh, as much as I'd like to.
0: Have you ever thought of uh, doing that part time? It Sounds like you really really like it.
1: Um you know it it is it is something that is always something in the back of my head um i i think that you know if 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 i ever got serious about going back into making a living of being paid by flying aircraft that would absolutely be the starting point but um but again you know i i'm 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 afraid that with the way things the current conditions and uh that that some of my uh contemporaries that are flying for the regional airlines the current you know way things look for them i uh, i'm i'm afraid that if i were to get into that i may lose that love of flying and and it may become more of a chore to me than than something i really enjoy so i'm very very content with with what i'm doing now
0: well that that's good that's, i'm glad you found that, that that part place in your life you know where you can you're enjoying the flying and you're involved in aviation and that's that's absolutely terrific you know, before you, and Jesse, I really appreciate your, your talking to us today, but, uh, you know, is there anything else that you could tell somebody who's listening now and, and, and about this career as a, as a cargo specialist, as a revenue management specialist? Like, you know, for instance, the different challenges and rewards uh, of working, say, in, in this field, what are, what are the best challenges or the best rewards and, and the, the biggest challenges? And, and what would, you know, do you, would you recommend it?
1: Absolutely. You know, the biggest, the biggest, uh, reward that I would say is, is, is how directly revenue management affects the bottom line of the company. You know, I, I, I get different requests on a daily basis that ask for a multitude of things and, uh, and I have to go through them with the help of others and a lot of other, you know, uh, data, you know, make sure that I'm making the best decision for the airline. And because in, in passenger RM and cargo RM, you're dictating the exact price to the consumer. You know, when you make a certain decision that, uh, you know, either prices people out of the market or prices so low that more people come into the market, you can absolutely see that affecting the bottom line. And, and to me, you know, when my region does really well and it's noted, you can see it on the bottom line, you can see that I had my little part in making my company's success that much greater. That's extremely rewarding. You don't really get that in many other aspects of of the business, you know. It's it's one of those rare areas that that I can affect, you know, something very very important on the company and and that is that is truly the greatest reward that I get out of it, and and it's something that you know, I keep, I I stick with. It's something that I I continue to do because of that.
0: Well, Jesse, I'm sure that that people listening right now are going to have a lot of questions, and if if you are listening, go to podcast dot com slash contact page and write in some questions to us. I was wondering if if I get some questions from folks, can I forward those to you and maybe you help me answer those.
1: Absolutely. I, I, you know, I, I love talking shop. I, I love talking about the airline industry. Um, and, and, and I'm sure that, uh, you know, if it does come through the woodworks, uh, of who my employer actually is, uh, I, I just want to briefly state that, that my opinions are my own and do not reflect, uh, my employer in any manner. Um, but, but I love talking shop. Um, in fact, I used to dabble in a little bit of blogging in the past to kind of give people an inside, uh, view of the airline. So, of course, any questions, I would be more than happy to talk about.
0: And Jesse is somebody who's really passionate about aviation. And if you're, you know, I know you're you're listening to this right now and say you're one of those people that wants to still be an, an airline pilot. Uh, I hope, you know, Jesse's brought up some, some things, some realities about uh, what you're going to go through on your path there. It still is worth it to me. I really enjoy my job, but there are certain realities, like we talked about the, the. It's really put off in the future as far as what type of revenue you'll make for yourself or what type of money you'll make as as a salary. Uh, but I'm sure Jesse, you still have people, know people that really love their job and in flying.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, you hit the nail on the head and, you know, each person is different. And I have, you know, my buddies that are at all the regionals and even at some of the larger aircraft right now or larger airlines right now. They love it, you know, and, and that's, that's their cup of tea. And, and I share in that passion, you know, it's just, it's just like I said, you know, it's, it's, it's all about not focusing too much on the end game and being able to adapt in the current situation. And, you know, this is revenue management is just as fulfilling as I think uh, flying would have been, but, but that's because it's, it, it plays into who I am and, and, and what I like to do. So, you know, be it, be it flying left seat, right seat, or flying a desk, you know, you can always figure something in this great, great industry of aviation to do that you will really, really enjoy.
0: Well, Jesse, thanks for being here and and thanks for answering all these questions. I I tell you, this has been terrific. And you know, one of the things you just brought up and we can end with right now is the fact that you should have passion for whatever it is you're doing. Whatever job you take, whether it's flying or it's something else, whether it's revenue management, cargo specialist, just like Jesse, use him as an example and, and use me. I mean, I have a lot of passion for what I do. Absolutely love flying. I love teaching people how to fly. And that's really important no matter what you look towards. Well, I really appreciate your listening today. And I hope you come back to aviationcareerspodcast.com. If you like the show, you know, I'd appreciate you visiting some of our sponsors on, on the homepage there. And also another thing I just want to mention real quick, our scholarships are really growing, our list of scholarships. And if uh, right now they're all free. Uh, you'll have to register to see a total of 60 scholarships. After that, uh, it's going to be, I-, I wanted to make this affordable. So if you want to look at scholarships for Jade just a month, I've made it at $5 for just one month to look at all the scholarships. We have 500 scholarships that were, actually, we have more than that now, that we're putting onto the website and in the future we're going to keep adding and keep updating them and if you want there's a there's also an annual fee of of uh, fifty dollars and you get to the look at the website also get the course the uh, practical guide to winter flying and the pilot jobs course hope you'll go out there and look. it again jesse thanks so much for being here and we're gonna we're gonna have, probably have a few questions i'm sure from some listeners and, and look forward to some of your feedback
1: uh thanks thank you for the opportunity i'm i'm always glad to talk and uh I wish you well.
0: Well, thanks and and folks, remember, whatever it is you do in your flying career, whatever career you take, do it do it with passion. Do it with with so, do something you truly enjoy. And 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 look at that job and look at the realities of that job and how much it's going to make you and then say to yourself, am I going to be able to live with this 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 salary that's within this this career field? And if you say, of course I can, because I'll be loving my job so much, then you know that you have the passion for that job. Well, folks, we'll talk to you next episode, and safe flying. You have been listening to Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. This aviation podcast is produced by the Valeri Aviation Corporation.
1: Although hosts or guests may receive compensation for products and services discussed in this podcast, Compensation never influences our opinion. Before purchasing any product or service, you should always do your own research. Music by Billy Wheeler. All rights reserved.